Hello, disciple makers. Um, Ray Sullivan and myself are excited to uh, to talk to you today. And um, man, it never it never fails, guys. As much as I try to not use the word excited because it's so overused, I still go there. And and I know I started like every one of these broadcasts that way, but uh, we'll find we'll find better words. You know, Ray, Ray was a pastor, so he he's more eloquent than I am. But uh, elated to join you today with our guest uh, because it is super special and. Uh, we've been we've been planning this one a little while out. So uh, Mac Lake is with us on the broadcast today. And for those of you that know Mac, you know that he has a uh, deep passion for volunteers. And we are talking about volunteers today in your church. Um, and so Mac Mac is is just a pioneer in the space. Um, there there are people that have tried to put some systems together, but over the last twenty years or so, uh, through experience and churches and and um, um, leadership development, right, Mac, and, and those kind of things. I think you were in South Carolina. I had down on there um, uh, all the way to, to, to launching where you're at now. Um, man, it's just really cool to see that God's done all those things in your life. So <clears throat> tell us, like, first question off the bat, not planned. Um, in your bio, what's the, the thing that shocks you most? Like, you, like, look back and you're like, man, God did that. That's, that's pretty cool. Oh, wow. The thing that shocks me most, that's a great question. I think the thing that shocked me most uh, initially was that I planted a church because I never wanted to be a senior pastor, never dreamed of being a, a, a church planter. But then uh, beyond that, the thing that really shocked me the most was that God utilized, uh, utilized me to start a church planting network that uh, ultimately that process and system we built uh was embraced by the North American Mission Board, and I'm just overwhelmed by that on a daily basis to think uh, how God has used that to expand that across North America. That is that is such a cool part of your your story too, and and um, um, you know he's referring to working with Nam to create a, a process with that. Um, and uh, we also were all talking about how Atlanta traffic is the worst just before we hopped on here. And um, man, what you did with NAM and, uh, you know, obviously part of the cooperative program, you know, we're, we're funded by that. And we want to thank you for investing in the cooperative program, investing in our pastors. And uh, for those of you watching, you know, the cooperative program is why we get to do this broadcast. And so thank you for supporting us and being a part of that. And so I, I wanted to uh, start with a few stats. Um, and then get us kind of going and, and, and kicked off here. You know what? I didn't check in with Ray first. I'm going to check in with Ray. Ray, how's the weather in the Southern Kingdom today? I've got to tell you, PJ, it's beautiful down south. We've had a lot of rain, had over five inches on the blueberry farm uh, this weekend. But, man, beautiful today. I'm looking outside. The sun is shining. Squirrels are running across the ground. And um, gorgeous in, in the Southern Kingdom. That does sound like a good day. Are gnats out yet, though? Are the gnats not out? yet? Okay, all right. Praise the Lord. Then it's the best, the best part of the season. Um, so, um, well, we uh, so so here's some some data from today. So we're we're, we're talking about volunteers. We're talking about the uh, crisis, maybe is the right word to use there, that all of our churches are going through. And we know that most of you watching in Georgia are single staff bivo pastors. We know that many of you have different contexts, and you're unique in that, right? No, no. Uh, no church is uniquely in the same place as another church. And so every one of those churches has a different culture and a different ethos. And so, um, but we all struggle with volunteers, but there's been some things that have changed even in that uh, narrative um, in the last five years or so. So the first one, you know, Lifeway put out some research on this and talked about how one in four uh, Americans volunteer uh, at least once in the past year, you know, so a quarter, quarter of America volunteers. So there is this volunteer mindset 
Um, that's maybe higher than the 10% of people do a 90% of the work kind of model. There, there are more people bought into that. Uh, no shocker that women volunteer more than men. Um, I, I think that we would all see that, but we also know that women uh, are just more prevalent in church in general and statistically speaking. Um, but here's one that I, I thought was interesting uh, is that higher education um, really dictates how much you volunteer, which I actually thought was the opposite, uh, Mac. And so I, I want you to maybe speak to that here in a minute, because um, I was kind of shocked to hear the higher the education you have, the more that you volunteer, um, especially because of our roots as Southern Baptist and, and that not being the, the case. And so I'd, I'd be interested to know what you think about that. A couple, couple of other quick stats here is uh, the Unstuck group talked about um, how it's very apparent that as the staffing budget increases, the percentage of people volunteering decreases. And, and some of us have been in situations like, let's just hire one more associate pastor. Let's, let's hire an admin. Let's hire somebody else to do that. And it does seem like every time you give a little bit of those opportunities away to volunteer, less volunteers get involved. And so that higher that staffing budget, the, the less volunteers. In fact, you know, uh, bivocational pastors that are watching, you know, we often dream of the day where we can hire somebody else or, or, or go full time. But the reality is, we have so many volunteers when we're bivocational because we're in it together. And so I thought that was a great statistic. And then um, uh, two quick more, uh, Christianity Today, right? So post-pandemic, which uh, Ray and I were talking about, we don't really say that anymore. Uh, we're kind of like post, post-pandemic, post uh, whatever words, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it for our, our purposes. So volunteers have not returned um, like they have uh, even now, right? So only 35% of Americans are serving um, now in America, and that's down 44% from pre-pandemic era in the church. And so you just have this mass dropout of people that are, aren't sure where they're getting in. And we'll talk a little bit about that at one of our points too. So last one, last stat. Okay. I love stats. You know, Max, like, I just want to get after the, all right. So one last stat. So 61% of people who volunteered in the last six months consider volunteering an act of generosity. We're going to get into this with Ray and and talk a little bit about, you know, does my volunteering, you know, does that count as generosity? Because pastors and people disagree. The people in the pew are saying, man, I volunteer, and that's as good as dollars. And the pastor says no. So it, it's about a four to one disagreement, believe it or not, your pastor does, doesn't feel that way. So before I get to my first question, uh, Mac, uh, anything on those stats? I'll give you first first bite at it before I go to the next question. Oh, wow. Uh, goodness. <clears throat> I, I love that you put those things out there. I think we have to pay attention to what's going on in culture. Uh, and we have to adapt our approach based on what people are saying. And uh, what I see is a lot of churches who are experiencing exactly what you talked about, a decrease in volunteers, but they're using old approaches to try to get people back. And, and it's not working and they're, they're, they're frustrated. And I think uh, pastors, staff need to begin to sharpen some of their skills, uh, vision casting skills, communication skills, recruitment skills, uh, emotional intelligence. We need to uh, uh, study the culture better so that we understand where people are at and, uh, and, and be less critical and more adaptive to their, their thinking so that we can engage them in the mission. It's not that they don't want to be engaged in the mission, it's they want to know that what they're going to give their time and money to is it feels like it's worth the investment. Is it going to make a, a difference? And we've got to help them understand that. Yeah, and so shame is not a motivator. Put it in the chat, all right? Write it down on there, say shame is not a motivator. 
let's quote it here because it really isn't, you know, just saying that you should volunteer because you should. Okay. It's a true statement, but, but that didn't really motivate me to do something. And, you know, when, when you're saying uh, strategies and, and my next question will be to talk more about the book. Um, but when we talk about strategies, doing a volunteer day where we, we put out a bunch of sheet of paper and we say, sign up wherever you want to, right? We do the fair, we hand out popcorn after church and we beg you, right? Like Sarah McLaughlin uh, on a commercial, please, you know, sign up for the children, please sign up for the orphan, please sign up. And everybody's got their sheet out there. And, and, um, and, and that may have worked in a different era, a different way, uh, but, but that's not really the case. So Mac, let's jump into it. I would like you to recap the book, uh, the multiplication effect. It's an excellent book. And I've also done it on audio, um, on Audible. So thank you for doing that. Not every author uh, goes that distance, but man, it is it is well worth it. If you're uh, driving around or uh, you know don't have good cell phone service, you can download it ahead of time. I do that as I'm driving around Georgia. And so I got to listen to it on Audible. So just recap uh, the book for our audience. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say the book was born out of my own pain. Uh, Years ago, I planted a church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We were reaching a lot of people. We uh, we baptized 60 people in our first three months. And I recognized, wow, I, I've, I've got a problem here. I've got all these new believers, but I don't have enough leaders to disciple these, mm-hmm. these new believers. And so uh, that became a real, real challenge. And I remember saying, hey, we've got a leadership problem in the church. We got a leadership problem in the church. Then I woke up one day and realized I was wrong. We don't have a leadership problem in the church. We have a leadership development problem in the church. So that led me to really dive in and begin to study the life of Christ to see how did Jesus develop these 12 men that went out and changed the world. So just began to study that process and put together a, 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 a framework. So multiplication effect is really about a framework to help you build an intentional leadership development strategy that will ultimately end in a leadership development culture. And when I say leadership development, I am talking about discipleship. You know, I look at them uh, almost one in the same. And so what the book does, it helps you put together, it's not a program, it's a framework. And so it helps you, uh, it shows you how to put together a structure that will help you disciple people to different levels uh, uh, of spiritual maturity. It helps you put together an onboarding and training system, helps you identify specific competencies that leaders need to be discipled in, in order for them to have a a true impact with their life. And then it helps you identify who are the right people that we need to train, who are the people we need to identify to get them reproducing themselves as leaders. And so when you put all of that together it, it works together to build a, uh, a leadership development culture in the church. You yeah. know, when I talk, when I yeah. talk, when I talk to pastors, when I talk to pastors and I ask them, what's your leadership development strategy? I get one of two answers. They tell me, Hey, I, I don't have a leadership development strategy or eh, mine's organic, which means <laughs> they don't have leadership development strategy. So the book is designed to help them build that out. Gosh, what a, and, and it is a huge correlation to discipleship because um, a big part of the structure is uh, mentoring, uh, getting to know somebody, helping train them. And we've heard phrases in the past, like work yourself out of a job, but that's really not what this, this concept is. Work yourself out of a job is like, I don't want to do this one day. Right. Um, the, the, the system, the pipelines, the, the, the structure that we're talking about is 
what's your next step as a volunteer? That was my biggest takeaway from the book is that as a volunteer, sometimes you get stuck um, and you're not sure what they need to do next. And I think we addressed that a little bit later on. So I'll, I'll hold it there. But let me ask one quick follow up question, which is uh, so pastors watching now. It's like I've already bought the book on Amazon. It's on the way. Um, what's the first step they need to do? after this you know now now i know there's an issue okay i need to do volunteers normally that first step's the hardest so what would you encourage a pastor watching to do yeah i mean oddly enough it begins with your structure you have to structure for development most churches structure for function how are we going to function what i help churches do is i help them structure for development so that uh, when you build the leadership pipeline, uh, and again, I call this the generic leadership pipeline, it begins with, this is the biggest pool of your people, it's those who lead themselves. It's from that pool of people, they flow up to the next level of the pipeline, they become leaders of others. So they become a small group leader, a children's leader, a guest service leader. From that pool of people, you have another level, and it's called leading leaders. And this is where you have like a nursery coordinator, preschool coordinator, or a small group coach, something like that. Then those flow up and lead a department. That becomes the individual that's leading your student ministry, your children's ministry, your group's ministry, your worship ministry. And from there, those flow up to lead the organization. And so that's the senior pastor or like an executive pastor in a, in a larger church. And so typically most churches have five levels of a leadership pipeline. And so it's identifying that structure. And that is so important because what it does, it helps you identify and helps that individual identify what their next step is in their spiritual development as a leader. And most churches don't have that. They go from, okay, I'm serving in the church. Oh, you need, you need to hire a part-time youth guy. Okay, I'll move you into that. And they're jumping levels of the leadership pipeline, and that undermines their development. And then we get frustrated because we, you know, here you've waited for years as a pastor to hire somebody. You get the chance to hire somebody. You put them over area ministry, and they don't act like a leader. They act like a doer. And mm. so they're not leading the ministry. They're doing the ministry. Therefore, you, your church or that area ministry doesn't grow because you put somebody in who does not have the the progressive levels of development that the leadership pipeline helps provide yeah, and that leadership cap is big right Ray? um yes. and and um you know you've seen that firsthand uh where people you know their capacity can cap an entire ministry and can keep you from moving forward and and again not about numbers right but it is about people and it's about loving people and we got more centers than we can deal with and so so we're trying to reach as many people as possible but ray go, go ahead what 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 you got yeah, I, I think I'm still hung up on the Sarah McLaughlin um, image of us begging uh, people <laughs> to to serve. Um, wow. Uh, but anyway, uh, sorry, Mac. We um, we we get derailed sometimes. We but, do. Um, we do. Sorry about that. Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what an image of of what we try to do to convince people uh, to volunteer. And I, I, you know, Mac, I love what you're saying, and I'm I'm fascinated because. 31 years as a senior pastor, you know, we talk about service and we're trying to get people plugged into service because we believe that as Christians, we need to be serving, but the issue is not serving. The issue is disciple making. The issue is right. being a disciple. And yep. so leadership develop is, is not just developing leaders. It's developing disciples 
who make disciples. And when we go to Ephesians, we see that the role of the pastor is to lead leaders. It is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is not just the information transfer. Um, well, I have to have people that will give information. I have to have people that will babysit children. I have to have people that will serve the nursery. No, no it's, the, the equipping the saints is to make disciples yep. who will use their gifts and abilities in those areas and leadership to make disciples. And so, yep. man, I'm just, I'm fascinated. I love that. Thank you um, for equating um, leadership development with discipleship, because um, I, I really did not know that early on. Um, I, did, I didn't see it that way. Um, yep. Through a lot of failure, on my part of not developing leaders, I look back at it now and I see that I was just kind of shooting at the wrong target. So let me let me ask you this. And and PJ had mentioned earlier, and I want to I want to focus in on this because at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, 88% of our, our churches run less than 250 people. So we talk about staffing, we talk about hiring people. And the bottom line is a lot of our guys, that's not even on the radar. Right. So they're trying to, you know, mow the yard, clean the toilets, lead the music, get the choir ready, prepare the sermon. And now we're talking about, hey, you have to have a leadership pipeline. So yeah. how does your model max scale? Um, yeah. What would you say right now to those guys that are sitting here saying, OK, I get this and I hear about church planning and large churches and multi staff. But, man, I, mine is organic because yeah. I don't yeah. know how to scale this down to what I'm dealing with at dirt road Baptist church. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. What does well, it look like? Yeah. First of all, I grew up in dirt road Baptist church. Yeah, man. I grew up in a little church of 70 in Hanley, West Virginia mm -hmm. and love that church. And that church transformed my life. And, um, and, and I love your question because most people, when they hear the word leadership pipeline, they think large church, right. Oh, that's for large churches. And, oh, I want to scream and go, no, 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 you don't get it. I would much rather work with a smaller church through this process than a larger church because they can execute it faster and easier. Hmm. Uh, I, I love, I, I want to refer back to the passage you just talked about, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. That was one of the primary verses that impacted my life around leadership development. And I was reading it one morning and, and, and the Holy Spirit just grabbed me and said, Mac, pay attention to this. And I went, no, God, I, I know this. I know this. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And the Holy Spirit was like, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing it. I went back and looked at it. And it was like, OK, he's given apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, Ray. Here, here's my paraphrase of the verse. He has given leaders to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Yes. Those five positions were not paid staff in the local church. They mm. were volunteer leaders. So he had, mm. so if you're a single church, uh, single staff church, guess what? It doesn't matter. He has given your leaders. Your leaders are supposed to equip the saints to do the work. Of the ministry. That's not just your job. That's right. It's your leader's job. And mm. you begin to mobilize them. Now, for a, for a smaller church, and I, on my YouTube channel, YouTube uh, forward slash Mac Lake, there is a video I did because I uh, a guy reached out to me. He has a church of 50. And he said, all right, does leadership pipeline apply to me? I said, absolutely, yes. So I did a 12-minute video and built a pipeline for him, laid it all out exactly what it would look like for him. And that, that's on my YouTube channel. Uh, and I can give you guys a link to that. Yeah. 
but perfect. if perfect. we look at what Jesus did, okay, and I've studied life of Christ in chronological order quite a bit. He began his public ministry in the fall of 26 AD. And I want to show you five strategic moves. When he first met Peter, James, uh, I'm sorry, Peter, John, Andrew, uh, Nathaniel, and Philip. He said, he said to Peter and John, or to Andrew and John, he said, they said, where are you staying? He said, come and see. All right. That was an invitation. They were curious. That was an invitation to, hey, get to know me a little bit. All right. That was in the fall of uh, uh, fall 26 AD. In the fall of 27 AD is the second strategic move. That's when he looks at Peter, James, Andrew, and John said, follow me. One year later, one year later, he invites them into an official discipleship relationship, which was still not leadership, still not leadership, all right? And then nine months later, in the summer of 28 AD, Jesus goes up on a mountain, he prays all night long, and then he comes down the base of the mountain, and he said, and Luke says he calls his disciples to himself. How many? We don't know. Could have been hundreds, because it was the height of his popularity at this point in his public ministry. He spent the night praying. That Greek word means to pray without ceasing all night long. Why did he do that? Because he was getting ready to make the most strategic decision in his public ministry at this point. He was going to choose 12 key leaders. So that was his third strategic move. He chose 12 to be apostles. Nine months later, in the winter of 29 AD, he makes another strategic move. After training those 12, he did an intense six months of training with them. And then in the winter of 29, he looks at them and he says, now, I need you to pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth workers. Right. In other words, he's telling them, I want you to recruit the next generation of leaders. Mm -hmm. All right. And they do that over that next year. They do that. And then the final strategic move, he says, go make disciples of all nations. In other words, become movement makers. That's five strategic moves, development moves that Jesus moved those 12 through that helped them become world-changing leaders. Leadership pipeline is the same thing. I want, I want somebody in my church, I want them serving on a team or in a group. And then I want to move some of those, not all of them, some of those to leaders. Some of those leaders, and this is so important, especially in smaller churches, I want to move some of those leaders up to leader of leaders like a coach. And then some of those I want to move up to oversee a ministry area. So let me give you a real, real practical, uh, simple example. When, when I planted my church, uh, uh, we said, we're going to be a church of 300. Okay. And now we knew we weren't going to be 300 right away. That was our goal to grow to that. So we launched and we settled down around 150. Okay. But I said, I want to set a structure for 300. You could set a structure for 200. It doesn't matter what, you know, but what do we want to grow towards? And let's structure for what we're growing towards. So here's what we did. We knew, okay, if we had 300, that means we're going to have 60 children. If you have 60 children, if you use appropriate ratios and you do an every other week rotation, you need 12 volunteers or team members. You need 12 leaders on a rotation. You need a preschool coach, an elementary coach, you need a children's director. 
All right. That is, I think that's 27 positions I would need for a children's ministry of a church of 300. We knew that before we launched on day one. Mm -hmm. And we had that for every single ministry. So what's the starting point? It's putting a structure together so you know where you need people and where you need to develop people to. That is that is so good, Mac. And I, you know, g- going back to where where we began this whole thing, that leadership pipeline, leadership development is discipleship. Yep. And when I was listening to you talking about, you know, the the chronology of, of Jesus's ministry, you know, I'm thinking of Dan Spader, and I'm thinking of Sun Life, you know, in the four chairs. And basically, he's talking about the four chairs of discipleship and moving people in that process. But really, what it is, it's the four chairs of leadership. It's raising people up to lead. And so let, let me just ask you this here. One nugget. Give me give me one nugget for that single staff pastor right now. So he's listening and he's leaning in and he's like, OK, uh, Mac has spent a lot of time thinking about this. Um, I've tried the Sarah McLaughlin approach. I've tried begging. I've tried sign up sheets. Um, hey, man, where do I begin right now? Give me one thing um, to help me begin to think about yeah. um, where do I go? What's my next step? Yeah, I mean, j- just to put it in real practical terms, yeah, and and I agree with Sarah McLaughlin thing. It's like I tell people, it's like waving a white flag. Yeah, hey, we need help in children's ministry. It's like waving a white flag and saying, "Come join my sinking ship." We right. don't want to do that, you know. It's we want to inspire people. And so, if if I was pastoring a church of you know, let's say you know, fifty to sixty people, one of the things. And just to make real practical terms, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to identify who are my four top leaders, four top leaders that I can get overseeing key areas of ministry, children's uh, worship, Sunday school or groups, adult discipleship, whatever that is, you know, uh, maybe guest services or missions, something like that. I'm going to identify those four or five people. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin, just like Jesus did, I'm going to begin to spend a disproportionate amount of time with those few in order to impact the many. Now, and and I've done this in a small church. And so what I've done it in a small church, I've done it in a church plant where I picked uh, picked seven people over seven key ministries. I, I put them over those ministries. I explained to them, I said, listen, I need you to lead this area ministry under the under the umbrella of the overall vision. I need you to lead this area ministry. I, my job is to make you successful. Your job is to make the leaders under you successful. I will commit myself to developing you. Mm-hmm. And the other commitment I'm going to make, I will not undermine your authority. So if anybody in the church comes to me and says, hey, Mac, can you help me with this? Hey, Mac, can you get me the curriculum? Hey, Mac, I got a problem in my Sunday school class. Hey, Mac, I'm not sure what to do with this, this issue in my area ministry. I will not become the solution man. I won't be the answer man. I will point them back to you because I've empowered you to do that. Now, the the thing I'm going to do is I'm going to empower them and I'm going to train them. Mm -hmm. When Jesus chose his 12, and we don't have time to go into it, but if you look look at the next six months of what he did, it was intense training. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is if I was that pastor, I've written a book series called the Discipling Leader Series. Uh, It matches the leadership pipeline. Lead others, lead leaders, lead department, lead the organization. <clears throat> I would grab those four leaders. I would start at the bottom, and I would just say, "Hey, I'm going to disciple you through the 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 book leading others." And when we finish that, I'm going to disciple you through leading leaders. And when we finish that, I'm going to disciple you through leading a department. 
And I would just begin to teach them the competencies and disciple them in those competencies affiliated, provided for you in that book. Uh, you just meet with them every two weeks and you have a conversation about what God's doing in their life and how they're growing in that area and how they're applying it as a leader at home, at work, and in the church. One of the big problems with leadership development in the church today, we have settled on teaching people how to turn a ministry widget versus living a biblical lifestyle of leadership. And pastors, if you want to start a movement in your city, in your town, in your church, you begin to train people to live a biblical lifestyle of leadership instead of just turning your little ministry widget. People are not going to volunteer their time to turn a ministry widget anymore. They value what adds value to them. And they feel like they want to be, they want to give their life. COVID taught us that life is special, that family special and how we use our time is special and doggone it. I hear volunteers tell me all the time, don't waste my time. Don't waste my time with leadership development. If it's not going to be good, teach me to live a biblical lifestyle of leadership that will make a difference. And these books are designed to help you disciple people in a way that they have an impact in their home at work and at church. So PJ, yeah. I think I think we need an invitation right here. I mean, I I was just thinking, Ray, like the reason I'm standing up today is because I got a jump, man. Yeah. Like I'm ready to go. Like this I was, is, I was this just is like exciting. preach, preach. Um, but but just hey hey guys watching today, just just listen to that right there. You may want to just stop right now, rewind that because that's the one thing that I wish I would have learned a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so much, and I hear this so often talking with pastors every day, I just don't have leaders from preschool. I don't have leaders for this area. I don't people that have the experience. Your role is not to raise up leaders for those departments per se. Your role is to disciple people. And as you begin to disciple them, as you begin to pour into them, you're going to have to spend time with them. And I know as a pastor, one of the things that I was kind of taught early on is you can't single people out. You know, you have to be equal to everybody and you've got to, you can't spend more time with certain people than others. Guys, that's just not biblical. Jesus, Jesus sought those, those key leaders and he invested in them and then he sent them out um, to disciple others. And so it doesn't matter what size church that you're Mm -hmm. leading. Um, There are three or four people that God has put there. He says, I want you to pour into them and I want you to raise them up, invest them. And that, that, that doesn't matter if you're a mega church in downtown Atlanta, or if you're dirt road Baptist church. So that's where we start. Who are those key leaders that God has put in front of you right now to pour into? And Ray, I I love that challenge. And, And one thing, another shift we have to make in our mindset is when I am discipling somebody, it's not just about their character. It's about their competence. It's both. It's both. And I want to teach people. Yes, I want to teach people and disciple people to live like Jesus. But once I get them to the point where they're living like Jesus on a consistent basis, let's teach them to lead like Jesus. That's where that's where our discipleship efforts fall short. We don't teach them to lead like Jesus. We just keep working on their character and character and character. And I told a staff member one day, she said, Mac, you know, I, I'm doing this. I'm doing this stuff. I took them through this Beth Moore study and this Beth Moore study and this, you know, Priscilla Shriver study. But I said, that's great. That's great. You're, you've got some godly women that don't know how to lead their way out of a paper bag because all you're doing is teaching them character. You're not teaching them how to lead. And Jesus taught his disciples how to lead. The character and the conduct. 
the yeah. probabilities of yeah, I'm tweeting right now. Mac Lake said uh, WMU can't lead themselves out of it. <laughs> All right, so um, we'll see. We'll see what it that was is. not a Baptist church that I was talking okay, about. Okay, okay. So, um, man, I, okay, so yeah. I want to give a couple shout outs to some pastors. You know, our team really wants uh, some of these guys to just know that we we see them and they're doing great. The first one uh, is in Ray's region was my region, which is Alan Sanders. Alan, during COVID, ran a church of 12 and his family's five, right? And he's just like, where do I go from here? And it's always, and it's just one. And now that church is, you know, over 30, sometimes 40 and just growing and, um, and not a growing town. I mean, he's just loving people one person at a time and he's building that, that pipeline. So even when it's 10 people, which is just a Bible study, you can say, well, I need these roles to get to hundred, but you know what I start with too? Like, it's okay to say that we're going to start with two people and do it. So Alan, you know, he's been doing that a great job. The second person is Drew Startup. Drew, uh, has a church up here in Calhoun, uh, not far from me, and Bucky's for those of you that uh, need another identifier in North Georgia. And so Drew, you know, held a, a volunteer appreciation um, banquet. Right? He's trying to he's trying to build culture with his volunteers to say that what you're doing matters, and there's some, and there's more that's out there. And sometimes that's the next step that you can do that. And so uh, Drew and Meadowdale have been fantastic. They're really turning that around. And and you know he he asked me one day, I need a student guy, uh, can't pay much looking for somebody that wants to sign up for a challenge, know anybody. And I'm like, man, I'll send you anybody. It's great. Right. But he's building a volunteer pipeline because we just don't always have those dollars to hire out. And I'm not sure that's the way that we should always go. So um, we're, we're going to do this one a little bit more lightning to keep us, keep us on time. So uh, Ray, real quick, how, how do we increase volunteer opportunities in our churches? Um, we, man, lightning is tough on this one, but let me just I say, know. Let's go back to what Max said early on when he talked about a leadership development culture. And I think we talk a lot about this language, expectations, the way we present our church from the very beginning. And I think a lot of that it just goes back to the very beginning of letting people know that we are a disciple-making church and part of disciple-making is going to be serving. And it's not just about we want to plug you into a position. We want to have you serving in a department because we need you. It's yeah. we want to develop you we want to lead you to be a disciple maker. You will do that in the church, but you'll also do that in the community. So I, I think just beginning with that whole cultural understanding in your church, speaking the language from the pulpit, and then pastor, you leading that, um, the church seeing you investing in people, seeing you pouring into leading leaders, um, I think trickles from the pulpit down. It's not just in the preaching aspect, but it's in your personal investment in the life of people. So I, lightning round, I would just say kind of start there. That's about as lightning as a pastor will get, Max. So uh, that's that's the best we can do for him. But no, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, what do you think? How do you create volunteer opportunities? I know we're gonna you're gonna say structure and those kind of things, but how how do people know about those opportunities? Yeah, uh, it's shoulder tapping. It's having I see in you conversations. Uh, you know, nothing wrong with doing the Sunday morning volunteer, you know, uh, sign up type of thing, but. Uh, people are more likely to sign up and volunteer when you go over and you look them in the eye and say, hi, I've been watching you for a while. And can I tell you what I see in you? It's called an I see in you conversation. And can I tell you what I see in you? Yeah. I, I just see this, this faithfulness. I see people following you. I see a passion in you. I see a calling in you. We've got to start talking about calling again. You know, I think we've gotten away from that and begin to call out the call again. 
Uh, I grew up in a little country church, you know, and every Sunday you were called, you know, you felt, yeah. oh no, God's calling me to go to Africa. I was a little yeah. kid scared. I was going to have to go to Africa because our pastor was always calling out the called, you know, we got to get back to that and look at people. We got to stop making excuses for people. I was talking to a lady recently. And I don't have, I, I can't get enough children's volunteers. I said, how many people have you asked in the past 30 days? Oh, I don't know. Quite a few. I said, well, how many? Oh, I'm not sure. I said, well, give me some names. Well, and she couldn't do it. And, yeah. and I, I, I realized she's given up. She's waiting for people to come to her instead of her scanning. And one of the exercises I have churches do when I take them through leadership pipeline process, once a quarter, once a quarter, you put the names of everybody in your leadership pipeline, where they're at, you look at those names and you identify who has potential to go to the next level, who 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 needs to grow, who's not who's not on this chart that needs to be on this chart. And uh, PJ, I've had churches who've gone through this process who literally on a wall in their office put every single person's name that's serving and at what level of the pipeline. And, and I have one church that put three by five cards uh, that were blank with the name of the position, and they, they had their pipeline on this side and prayer request on this side. And the, if they needed three small group leaders, they had three blank cards. They were praying for the people there. And then that reminded their, their team, let's go out and look. Let's go out and look and have those I see in you conversations. Tell people what you see in them and why you think they would be great for this role. And then cast a vision, cast a vision of what God's doing in your area of ministry and the difference their gift can make uh, in that area of ministry and the lives of people. Yeah. Hey, and you know, said, that, said, let ahead. me shout out, let me shout out one here. So Chris Roberts, uh, my yeah. pastor at Bridge Church um, down in Blackshear. One of the things that has always impressed me about Chris is he can sit there and he can tell you where his membership is on this process. And we have had these conversations. He's like, I've got this many leaders here. I've got this many leaders here. I've got this many leaders here. And that, that is just amazing to me that he, he, he knows where his people are. And then he's always thinking about what is the next step to get them to the next place. Yeah. And uh, that's not a huge church, um, but it is a disciple making church and it is a sending church. And it is just important for you, pastor, to think, where are my people? Who are they? And and those, I love that I see in you conversations. Um, I tell you what, a, a football coach would be fired if they couldn't tell you how many players had offense, how many that on defense, who right. the backups were, how deep Good. they're, they would be fired. And yet we never look at that. And so, like I said, we do, I tell churches, let's put the names on every quarter. Let's look at those names. And, and here's one of the things I point out to them. I say, how many of you get a budget report in your in, in your inbox every month? Everybody gets a budget report. How much money came in? How much went out? How much you got left, right? That's very important to do. That's a good discipline. Then I ask the question, how many of you get a people report on your desk at least once a quarter? Nobody ever raises their hand. If we managed our money the way we managed our people in the church, we'd go bankrupt. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm going to, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to land the plane here and just share a little bit about my story because I think it's relevant to that comment. Um, um, you know, Lifeway research tells us that four out of 10 people will seek you out. So the majority of people won't. 
So 60% of our people aren't just going to walk up and say they're ready to volunteer. They're, we're going to have to tap them on the shoulders. We're going to have to talk to them and we have to make it easy for them to connect. So I find myself in my last church before I came here at the mission board um, and I get hired in as the IT director and, uh, and I get to do uh, volunteer management. And you'd be like, man, what's the nerd got to do with that? Right. So uh, some of our viewers know I'm kind of quirky. I have a uh, degrees in, in singles ministry and discipleship, and it's kind of eclectic and how the Lord used me. And so what I got is a unique row, uh, front row seat to what you're talking about, Mac, which is I knew that software could help us get there. And so we deployed a new software at, at our church. You know, we, we ran about 2000 on Sunday morning. And, and so it was, it was a larger church and I was brought in to kind of do this project. And so one of the things that came up was volunteers. And in that session, I was just like, we have to be laser focused on knowing where everybody volunteers because of burnout. You know, Miss Miss Patty serves in seven different places. And you know what happens? She leaves and goes to another church when she's burned out. Yeah. We were finding that we had student volunteers that signed up for, uh, you know, uh, five, eight years tour duty. And at the end of it, they were like, we're done. We're going to a different church. They were falling out because we were just exhausting them. And, and so we thought, you know, we just need to name the position. Something as basic as that turned into uh, a volunteer role. And we, we, we dared to be people centric. Like uh, when we, when we started out, we, we called it the white glove experience. Like we wanted you to have the best experience if you wanted to connect and take your next step. And so sometimes we'd ask people to do that. Sometimes we do the, the call, fill out this form, you know, that kind of thing. And, and we had a, a coaching process, all volunteers. And, and I think, I think y'all have picked up, I had lots of hats, right? So this wasn't my full-time gig. And so I, I had to work with volunteers. And so we had volunteer coaches that would meet with you after you said you had your next step. They were a neutral party. And, and Judy was one of my best volunteer coaches. And what Judy would do is she'd meet with you and we'd fill out a little form. Not you fill it out, but I fill it out. Tell me a little bit about your testimony. What, you know, what's your address? What's your this? Like, let me, let me love you and let me get to know you. And, and what are you passionate about? What has God called you to? And so we stopped the the uh, the children's person begging, the student person begging, and we stopped that cycle and culture and said, no, let's be about the person. And we had more people sign up. We had happier volunteers in those systems. And, and it was more sustainable, y'all. Like you could do this at any size church, like just having a volunteer coach, whatever you want to call them, that just loves people. And they say, well, I, I work on Sundays. I do this. I do that. I do that well, this might be your role. Like you might be able to help people find their next step in volunteering and get them in there. And then there's also the ugly side of volunteers, which is conflict mediation. And so we would get into some of those situations where this volunteer wasn't a good fit. Well, instead of saying you're no longer welcome in our church, we'd find their next step. Oh yeah, you're right. You're not right for student ministry. I know they begged you to come over there, but why don't you come over here to the singles ministry and you can help us. Oh, it was a great fit. And so I guess what I'm getting at is that if you're intentional about people, and you said this early on on this one, you're going to hit the mark. And when you're about running a program or even a system or saying, hey, this framework has to work this way or else, you're just you're not thinking about the person sitting in front of you that loves God and just wants to, to fulfill their calling in their life. And so the, the easier we can make that on ramp, um, the, the, the more clear we can make it for them to volunteer the more they're they're able to move forward. Now, what I didn't have as a volunteer minister, Mac, is the idea that um, the role you're in now isn't your destination. So where I fell short of this is once I got you there, I really did feel like we did our job. Um, yeah. and, and to your point, it's like, that's not the point. That's not discipleship. And so, you know, Ray, like when you're, when you're, I'm, I just have to confess on this broadcast, 
you know, I didn't see it as discipleship. I saw it as filling roles and almost like a job placement system. Um, Then I did a discipleship model where, you know, you would work at the door, but then you'd go here and then you would go here and you would, I mean, we would say that we would do that, but we didn't, right? We we, we had to, to do that. So I guess, I guess my last, my last, um, uh, little thing and, and, and Ray, you might want to, I think Ray's got one more question for you, but I, I guess Mac, um, you don't know what you don't know. And mm-hmm. so some of us are kind of like blown away in this moment. Like even I'm blown away at like what I did in the past. And I thought I was doing pretty good. And I'm like, no, that wasn't. So, so the intentionality you've brought up a few times, um, cards on the wall, you know, different things to, how do you keep a team moving forward? So this isn't just like a six month, uh, fun journey. Yeah, <clears throat> great, great question. So when I take them through the process, uh, one thing I tell them is please, once we build out your intentional leadership development strategy, please do not announce it to the church. Because the day you announce it to the church, it becomes a program and it yeah. dies. So true. This is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. The framework is, so if, as you're looking at me right now, I have a skeletal structure and I have internal systems that make my body run in a healthy way. You don't see those. And just like in the leadership pipeline, we've got structure, system, content, people. You don't see that. That, That's the framework. That's the structure and system. What I tell churches, let's put skin on it. This is a lifestyle, not a program. It's a disciple-making lifestyle where you're engaging and interacting with a a small group of people to help them learn to live and lead like Jesus. And so that's one thing I tell them. Then the second thing I tell them is you do a quarterly leadership development, Mm -hmm. uh, leadership pipeline meeting where you look at, okay, where are people at? And let's keep our eye on that. And so that quarterly leadership development meeting helps. And then once a month is you take your onboarding system and that uh, that you are utilizing and I help them build that out in the book or samples and help you build that out. Once a month, you pull the onboarding system out in a, in a team meeting with your key leaders. And if I'm a, if I'm a single staff uh, person, I still got my, you know, my key leaders I want to get around me and say, okay, who are you recruiting? Where are they at in this process? How's it going? So that way we're not getting Miss Susie in five, six different positions and burning her out and overutilizing her. We're making sure Miss Susie has a primary ministry and a secondary ministry if she wants that. And we're maximizing the time that she is giving to the church. And we're maximizing how we care for her and how we develop her. And so uh, that little rhythm. Number one, no, it's a it's a lifestyle, not a program. Number two, do a quarterly leadership pipeline meeting where you look at all the names of people. And number three, a monthly uh, each month, look at your onboarding system. Who are we onboarding? Where are they at in the process? Are we giving them the white glove treatment as we're onboarding them? And that will help keep this maintain and and sustain forward. Thank you, Matt. I mean, there's so there's so much stuff in, in this broadcast, and I know we've gone a little bit longer today than we normally do, but man, I this is the topic that I probably get the most um, from pastors is, man, help me. I need leaders. And, yep. and I'll say all the time, well, it's you need disciples, <laughs> you know, and so we're, we're, we're addressing that. But let me just uh, as we as we finish up, I'm, I'm curious. So what was it like helping Nam? Um, you know, you I know you worked with Nam for a while and then the multiply group. Um, how how what are you guys up to? How are things going post-pandemic now? 
Yeah, working with NAM was one of the greatest honors of my life. I had built an assess a church plan assessment and training, uh, and uh, they uh, identified that they liked it. So uh, Brian Bloy, the pastor at Westridge Church, and I, uh, uh, who were running uh, that whole thing, gave that over to the North American Mission Board, and uh, so I went to work for them to help install that in the Sin Cities. One of the greatest joys of my life is watching that go beyond sin cities now and states are adopting that full process and that has been so exciting to watch that and uh, to watch it just spread and here's what i here's the big lesson i've learned is when you make leadership development because that really is a leadership part of a leadership development process when you make leadership development intentional you can make it reproducible when it's reproducible it's unstoppable so I get calls today or emails today from from church planters who were trained from a trainer that I've never met that was trained by a master trainer that I've never met. And that just tickles my heart. So it was a great joy uh, being a part of being part of that mission. But I did leave there because Leadership Pipeline is my greater passion. And I was being pulled between the two uh, because both were growing. And so uh, I had a great team at NAM. So I, I that I developed and raised up. I turned everything over to them, and I went and started my own company called Multiply Group. Twenty twenty just about ruined us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, but I'm so thankful because it was during twenty twenty I wrote the Discipling Leaders book series. Mm -hmm. So uh, and and some other books that uh, resources to help churches develop leaders. And so, uh, and then also during COVID, I created the Leadership Pipeline e-course. So now we can deliver this for churches at a much more affordable rate virtually uh, than we ever could have before. And then we've also uh, just kicked off something called the Leadership Accelerator. It's a brand new program. It's uh, churches and pastors struggle with how to lead a team effectively. Uh how to help that team get really high quality results. And, and I've been doing this for years. And so what it does, the leadership accelerators, eight components along with the tools that they can use to have high relationship, high result teams. And we just started delivering it and the results we're getting back have just been phenomenal. So we're very excited about uh, introducing that over this next year uh, out there as well. That may be another another broadcast, PJ. I know, I know. Leadership I was just thinking we're, we're, we're going to have Mac back, you know, to talk <laughs> about these, and so I think we will. And, um, you know, tell us about the websites. How can we get a hold of you? Yeah, multiplygroup.org, multiplygroup.org, and uh, you can go there, see uh, different services we offer, our resources. Uh, if you want to uh, uh, talk more about Leadership Pipeline, just click that button or Leadership Accelerator, click the Explore button, uh, and we'll set up an Explore call where me or one of my team members will meet with you, help diagnose where you're at, help you identify next step, and uh, show you how we might be able to help you. Oh, I love it. And so, Ray, thanks for being on the broadcast today with me, buddy. I always love getting to do these with you. And, uh, you know, we we exist to serve churches and in Georgia. And so whatever we can do as a disciple making team to help you uh, work on that volunteer pipeline, you know, whatever those next steps are, man, we'd love connecting you to resources like Mac and and just getting these experts in the room and learning. And that's what we just did. You know, we, we were just learning. It was like a little clinic there. And, and so um, we're here as a team to help you. We thank you for giving to the cooperative program so that we get to be able to do this every day. 
Um, and thank you to Lana. She's hiding in the background, never has her, her video on, but is our show producer and um, mildly teared terrified of, uh, of videos and recording and that it's going to go wrong. But Lana, it never does. You do a great job and we appreciate you. So uh, thank you, Disciple Makers, for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next time.